that's something that's always fascinated me a lot about the influence that the environment has on life. The influence that the environment has on life. On life. It's not just this mechanical nature of the universe that causes life to happen, but that it's this process, this interaction between environment and the organism. Interaction between environment and the organism. Yeah, before uh, we dive too far into that, though, uh, I was wondering if you wanted to have a little uh, like a meta discussion about like podcasting. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, here we are, 2022. Um, the world of like ex-Mormon and Mormon podcasting has kind of changed quite a lot in some ways and in some ways it's been the same since like I guess when you got started in like what 2010 or, or around yeah, that time. Yeah, about that time, yeah. Yeah, so you know uh, back in the early 2000 teens um, you know, the Infants on Thrones you used to say that um it was this place where uh, people would come to kind of the Mormon podcasting world and they might come to it through like Mormon stories and have like this like learning phase or something and then this angry phase where they would listen to like Mormon expression and then this like phase where they're at peace with like Mormonism when they come land on like infants on thrones do you (laughs) kind of see infants on thrones these days as that same like landing spot this is infants on thrones baby steps who wants someone to preach to the philosophies of men i like magical toys mingled with humor i don't believe in them there will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor we are evolving baby steps Look for the good in everything. Look for the people who will set your soul free. It always seems impossible until it's done. Look for the good in everyone. All right, welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode 811, Continued Search for Meaning. And I recorded this conversation back in March of 2022 with Ren, who I hope you're familiar with at this point as being a new panel member on Infants on Thrones. I did have a a conversation with Ren. What did I call it? Transgender, uh, Transgender testimony time, something like that. Uh, Ren is fantastic. Um, I learned so much from her, and we had this great conversation back in March that I just haven't published until now. So I'm publishing it now, and that's really all I need to say. Here we go. Now, hang on to your hats and glasses, because this here's the wildest ride in the wilderness. I'm excited for yeah. this. I'm excited for this as well. Because I have, I like, this is one where I'm like so unprepared for what you want to talk about. I, I did look up uh, this this woman and I don't read books anymore. I only listen to them. And that book that you read wasn't on Audible, but there's another one of hers called 
uh, Staying with the Trouble by Don mm-hmm. J. Haraway. Have you read that one? I haven't gotten to that one yet. No. Okay. Is it I good? Because I haven't started listening to it yet. I think so. I okay. I watched a lecture she did based on that, um, which was good. Yeah. But um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Before uh, we dive too far into that, though, uh, I was wondering if you wanted to have a little uh, like a meta discussion about like podcasting. Sure. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, here we are, 2022, um, the world of like ex-Mormon and Mormon podcasting has kind of changed quite a lot in some ways. And in some ways it's been the same since like, I guess when you got started in like what, 2010 or, or around yeah, that time. Yeah, about that time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, back in the early 2000 teens, um, you know, the Infants on Thrones you used to say that um, it was this place where uh, people would come to kind of the Mormon podcasting world and they might come to it through like Mormon stories and have like this like learning phase or something. And then this angry phase where they would listen to like yeah. Mormon expression. And yeah. then this like phase where they're at peace with like Mormonism when they come land on like infants on thrones, Do you <laughs> kind of see infants on thrones these days as that same like landing spot no and and by the way it wasn't me who said that i think that was (laughs) i think that was matt or scott but um uh uh, and i even at the time when i i i I think i think i recent when i uh recently released the interview that we did on mormon stories back in 2014 i think it came up in there and I, I remember hearing it and just kind of like laughing, you know, oh, come yeah. on, come on. I mean, it's so like th- that to me seems very self-serving and like, OK, m- maybe that's what we would like us to be. But who knows what the experience is of any listener or even the main listeners. And w- when we started Infants on Thrones and it was a group of people instead of just like me, like it is now. <laughs> I never wanted it to be me like it is now. I always wanted it to be a group of people that we're all like creating stuff. Like what is it that we're passionate on mm-hmm. about? And we record our own stuff. And sometimes we bring each other on for panels. And sometimes we bring on other people for panels. And we kind of did that for mm-hmm. a while. Um, but we, we compared ourselves against Mormon expression and Mormon stories uh, where there was the cult of personality, you know, in John Larson and John DeLynn. And we did mm-hmm. not want to be that. We didn't want anybody to, to become like anything like that. Um, so a, a lot, I think of the, oh, we're the place that people go when they're done with those was kind of like an egoic like we're better we're above them kind Mm. of thing that Mm -hmm. was coming out that way that that's how i felt about it at the the time and it made me feel a little uncomfortable when i heard that at the time but you know like whatever yeah what do you you, what do you think what do you oh so you're asking me like now what where do i see infants fitting into the Mm -hmm. world because you've got no like idea, Ren. those, I don't, you, I don't know if you know or if you've surveyed the landscape recently or not, but like John DeLynn, John Larson, they've teamed up. They're yeah. a combined force now. Nice. And uh, cool. so you don't, do you see Infants on Thrones as part of the like Mormon podcast conversation at all? Not really. I, I don't, I don't know what Infants on Thrones is anymore, <laughs> except that there's, there's people that still like it. 
and I, yeah. I don't totally know why. And and I, you know, like I, I don't have any kind of roadmap of like where what I'm trying to do or where it's trying to to go. Um, so I'm just I've been going by the seat of my pants this whole time. Mm. Hmm. Like That's whatever's interesting. interesting, whatever's interesting to me at the time I talk about. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've been doing a lot of like, you know, throwbacks to kind yeah. of that time period. Um, yeah. And I just, it, I really liked that format of, you know, uh, a group of people kind of doing what they love yeah. and then just kind of like, you know, asking other people. And I can't remember who it was. One of my favorite episodes actually was, I think it was Scott was his name or somebody who did an interview with the Bigfoot guy from Idaho yeah. State. Yeah, that was Scott. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that one. And it took him like a year to edit that thing. It was oh, like, wow. Scott, yeah, it was, it was something Todd Meldrum, something Scott Meldrum. I was something Meldrum. I think yeah, was the guy's yeah. name. Um, yeah. I'm like, Scott, have you edited that one yet? Are we ready to publish? It? <laughs> He's oh, like, man. I'll do it. I'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he did two parts, right? Cause there was, yeah, yeah. there was one that was Bigfoot. And what was the other one? Oh, I don't know. Like Bigfoot I, was the second was one time ago. Yeah. yeah. Rodney. I don't remember what his name was. Rod Meldrum. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, but yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I, I kind of go through these cycles in my life where I'm like, ah, I'm done with Mormon podcasts. This yeah. is, I don't need to think about this anymore, but then yeah. like, you know, I'm bored or I've got like, you know, chores and stuff. And then I'm like, I'm going to listen to some podcasts. And then like, um, you know, I'll, I'll survey the, the landscape again. And there's a lot these days and it's a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of different ones. And, um, like, I don't know, um, I, I don't know if it's healthy or not for me to like stay like coming back to them and like kind of digging up the like mm. old like Mormon feelings of stuff and, you know, visiting like ex-Mormon Reddit or something like, like I, uh, I, I'll dip in and dip out because it's just like, well, okay, well this is the same conversation that we were having 10 years ago. But yeah. I don't know if you've seen, but there's a, uh, this is, this is kind of a, a preview of what I want to talk about tonight. If you'll go on this voyage with me, Glenn. <laughs> Ren, Ren, I will go on any voyage with you. And before you go any further, like, mm-hmm. It, you, you said that you liked the format where it was a, a, a group of people that were all like creating stuff. Yeah. You're welcome to be one of those people if oh, you'd like, Ren. Shoot. Wow. I, 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 oh, yeah. I know, I know what you can do. I know your all right. talents. All right. All right. You, you've, you've got the invitation and the green light and you're part of this, this coaching group now that, you know, like I asked you last night, the question that I did, cause I thought, but you're probably wondering what did I get myself into with this thing? <laughs> but like, I could see several of them in there is also like, I've, I've had this little fantasy of like an infants 2.0 where I'm just kind of more in the background and let mm. the next generation come in and do all their stuff or whatever. Cause yeah, uh, there's some cool stuff there. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, and, uh, it's it's weird like well i don't want to get into too much about what we talked about last night but i really enjoyed i enjoyed it and uh i was grateful for um you know your kind of follow-up thoughts and stuff but um so in the current uh you know mormon podcast scene there's actually a uh a podcast for uh deseret nationalists i don't know have you heard this term you know desnats what that is 
Oh, Desnats. I've think I've heard this is it's kind of like a preppers type thing. I don't know. Glenn, they're not stopped paying attention. It's to Nazis. It. They're here. They're on the home front. That's what it is. They're Nazis. Fascists for sure. Fascists, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so, so that is it, is, is it, is it like skinhead white supremacists? No, stuff? they're like, they're like, um, you know, interpreting, uh, traditional Mormonism as like, as it is like spoken in the book of Mormon, that like this land was made for the Mormons and, oh. you know, Deseret is their land and they're going to, um, you know, enforce it. Rise uh, up like best. a lion. Yeah, or, you know, whatever. or whatever that like bloom yeah. like a rose and rise up like right, a lion, right. lambs to the slaughter. I don't know all that stuff. Right. Yeah. But yeah. So the topic tonight, believe it or not, mm-hmm. fascism. Go ahead. Okay. We'll get there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you seen uh this cartoon Attack on Titan? No. Are you into like anime at all? Not anime. Mm. not really no my daughter is oh really my 25 year old daughter well she's she started she she hasn't been but she recently started getting into it yeah do you get that question a lot as uh, like a japanese missionary like do people are like oh yeah no really nothing no no, i don't Mm. i don't much that's interesting when i was in high school um you know all my friends we were big nerds and big into anime and stuff and so you know it's secretly no one would ever say this out loud but you know, if you pushed somebody to like ask, you know, where they want to go on their mission amongst my group of friends, they would be like, oh yeah, Japan for sure. Right. Like mm. that's the the one that everybody wanted to go to because we all love Japanese cartoons. Um, and, uh, but none of us got called there except this one kid, he did get called to, to Japan on his mission, but he was like the most annoying kid in high school. <laughs> and I was so mad. I was like, oh that's my God. That's why they send all the annoying ones. <laughs> no yeah i should you know he's he's definitely a uh when he got back um a a very cool guy and definitely not annoying and i wish i would have not thought of him as an annoying person (laughs) in high school but yeah i was disappointed when i got my mission call to japan because i oh really i wanted to go to russia because i thought for sure that's where the lost tribes of israel were and my patriarchal blessing told me that i would work with the lost tribes of Israel that I would like get to know who they were and and work with them. And then when I was in the MTC, I started hearing all these like rumors about the Japanese being the lost tribes of Israel. And then I got super excited about, and that's what I wrote my master's thesis on eventually. But uh, yeah, I was disappointed when I found Mm. out that it was Japan, but I quickly repented of that and greatly enjoyed my experience. As you can see from all of the stuff behind me, like the little (laughs) samurai helmets and stuff that uh, I picked up cool cool yeah um did you ever take stock in the uh uh kind of like end end of times prophecies about like the northern army attacking jerusalem and stuff and did you think that was like russia um i I, that wasn't one of the signs of the times that i particularly latched on to um but there were lots that i did that one of the biggest ones for me was like uh was it talmage talmage was the one that wrote jesus the christ Mm mm-hmm and in 1912, so like I, I used to read Mormon doctrine just for fun, like that, that Bruce R. McConkie book mm-hmm. and the, the Lost Tribes um, article in there talks about how uh, Talmadge predicted in 1912 that the Lost Tribes would come and that it would happen just like it says in the Doctrine and Covenants and that there are 
people alive today, yea, verily, even here in this audience who will live to see the return of the lost tribes. And so I started doing the math and I'm like, my grandpa who just died was born in 1912. So we're getting to the end. So it's getting, and this was like in the early nineties, mid nineties. Wow. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, it's getting close. It's getting close. But I, I didn't think that the Northern army was Russia or anything like that. Yeah. Wild times. But um, I did, I did think uh, there was, there was a time on my mission where I thought that there were golden plates that were hidden in a hillside somewhere that would be discovered. Yeah. That would be the Japanese uh, record of Jesus visiting the lost tribes after he visited the Nephites. Oh, and wow. I, and I, I wanted to be the Joseph Smith that would bring those records to light. So I, I looked <laughs> for him and I didn't find them. Oh, shoot. I, I might not have had enough faith. Yeah. Yeah. They might have been on gold. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe um, they just haven't been written yet. And I need to do that. Oh, if uh-huh. I'm going to be the Joseph Smith of them, I just need to write it. Cause I That's think that right. was the secret. All of the, yeah. The, the things that are old shall be new again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, this Japanese cartoon attack on Titan, very popular mm. cartoon these days. If you're in the scene, mm. um, it's the, it's, it's quickly becoming like uh, the number one, like, favorite anime of anime lovers mm. worldwide um supplanting the beloved full metal alchemist brotherhood right <laughs> anyways in attack on titan um it's a it's a very grim and and like shockingly violent show um uh and you think at the beginning of it that the whole point of this whole show is just the violence, just because of how crazy and insane it is. But an actual like story does develop and, and the kind of first level story that you eventually arrive at is that there is this thing, this power called the, uh, the coordinate that uh, our lead protagonist has got to find, or at least, all of the competing parties in the story are trying to find this thing called the coordinate. And um, uh, what the coordinate is, is uh, basically the power to control the fate of an entire, um, uh, uh, an entire race of people, right? Um, And this is kind of, the question that I want to focus on is, is the, the power to control and not just control people, but the power to control yourself and getting to this book by Donna Haraway. So this book I emailed you about, I'm very excited about because of it's actually a very boring book. It's not exciting at all, <laughs> but it's called Crystals, Fabrics, and Fields, Metaphors that Shape Embryos. And uh, uh, if you get into the science of embryology, developmental biology, talking about cells and how cells become an organism uh, you're faced with a very tricky question that people are still struggling with to this day. And that question is, 
how do the cells know how to become like a brain? Yeah. How do they know how to become an arm? Hmm. You know, these kinds of questions. Or like a bone cell or a, or red a bone blood cell. cell or yeah. Yeah. Well, like what? How they diversify, what's directing them? Yeah. What? coordinates coordinates uh, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah what is what, the, what's what the is, coordinate yeah. yeah what's the coordinate that's yeah. that's making these cells develop and and progress and become us and all life on earth right and um in this book crystals fabrics and fields you know donna harway takes us all the way back to renee descartes which i'm sure you've probably heard a lot about um, and, uh, I've uh, heard about Descartes, therefore I am. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Ray De Descartes was a very famous, uh, philosopher and kind of, uh, you know, scientist, uh, responsible for basically the foundation of all modern scientific thought, because it was, uh, Descartes who first, uh, established, uh, three-dimensional coordinates, right? When you talk about the Cartesian coordinate system, mm. we're talking about, you know, an idea from Rene Descartes. Famously, he was trying to describe the movement of a bug in his room um, and came up with this coordinate system, mm. um, you know, for the first time ever, probably not the first time ever, but, you know, he, he mapped out space, right? And uh, a big part of Descartes' philosophy and the ideas that he put forward is this idea of a dualistic nature of reality that there mm. is mind and matter right. and that you know mind uh, is incorporeal and uh, has no basically has no coordinate right there is no spatial system for the mind whereas for matter everything uh, exists in this uh, this space that mm. is physical and mm. material Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this division of mind and matter uh, was super successful. Um, it, it allowed science to be birthed, basically, or modern science, um, where you were able to then, with this spatial mapping of this material world, um, you're then able to, you know, come up with, with physics and come up with um, you know, a mechanistic interpretation of how the world works, right? You can, you can come up with all of these laws and mathematical models that describe the motion of corpuscular matter in this spatial um, space, right? Um, and so, you know, people like Isaac Newton and uh, uh, you know, uh, Maxwell and, and the Lagrange, you know, all these famous scientists during the scientific revolution, you know, were very, very successful at describing our world, or at least describing this material world that exists in Cartesian space, right? Mm. Um, and uh, such to the point at the exclusion of just about everything else, right? Um, a lot of people started believing that this mechanistic interpretation of reality was like the only reality, right? Because yeah. of how successful science was uh, in predicting uh, what our world is like. Um, as long as you focus on the material and you ignore 
whatever he said was the immaterial. Is that yeah, right? The, the mind, the immaterial. The mind, the, yeah. The, yeah. As long as you can keep that separate yeah. and just, you know, uh, then, then you're fine. Um, but, you know, scientists eventually came back to these questions, you know, in like life, like, because life does not follow these like, you know, physical laws um, as, as, as at all basically right um you 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 cannot predict with any kind of like certainty like you can in physics or chemistry the behavior of of uh human beings or the behavior of animals even the behavior of like you know plants to some extent right um uh, it, life seems to have its own agenda independent of uh physical laws can I, can I pause and ask you a question? I, I don't want, if this is going to derail you from where you want to go, just tell no, me and keep going. It's fine. But you, so you, you're saying life. Yeah. And I, I, under that Cartesian model, where does life, where, where would you categorize it? Would life be the material side or would life be the mind side? Or yeah, is that's... it emerging from both? Yeah, that's the that's the 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 crux of the question, right? Like okay. that scientists are faced with is like what what about life? Like is this because it is apparent in like everything you look at, you know, in your day-to-day experience that uh that life uh like I said seems to have its own agenda, that it seems to have its own purposes. Um that, you know, uh, a, a plant, you plant a corn seed and it becomes, you know, corn, um, kind of against the gradient of natural, like uh, uh, entropy laws or, or thermodynamic laws, right? It just it it uses the free energy to create its own thing, uh, as opposed and to organize itself, right? To coordinate its uh, uh, construction, um, and so so people thought the think the very same way you're thinking Glenn. like well is this is this then immaterial is it part of the the physical world or is there something more to life um and and when you ask that question is there something like more to life that's when there's this current of thought called uh, vitalism um this idea that uh life um has an incorporeal nature to it that you can't describe using this Cartesian mapping or, or the physical laws that we have, that there's a vital essence, right? I'm sure you've heard before that, that, that all life has, that this vital essence um, is responsible for why life appears to defy these physical laws. And in fact, a lot of philosophers um, kind of put forward the, the idea that uh, vitalism is the true like nature of reality that that uh, uh, everything that exists in this uh, physical material world is really just an outward expression of like this internal you know mind um, that's driven by vitalist forces right by by the soul if you want to say something like that right some philosophers put forward um and so you end up with these two kind of opposing worldviews that you know uh 
life is just a mechanical, there's just a mechanical nature to the universe and everything in the universe is a, is part of that machine um, that follows very uh, specific laws. Or uh, no, there's, there's this vital essence to the universe. There is a, a, a world where things like beauty and justice and, and um, love and, and choice exists. And that is the real, like, you know, universe, this universe of free agents. Um, and uh, uh, these are the two, uh, and in some ways today are still kind of the two uh, basic opposing philosophies, right? And then you brought up this really important point, which kind of uh, comes to this book uh, that, uh, that uh, Donna Haraway wrote. Uh, which is that, well, maybe it's a function uh, of both things, or maybe you can't, you know, maybe it isn't just one or just the other, but both. And um, this is kind of the fundamental philosophy of uh, uh, organicism or, um, uh, you know, this kind of third way between these two uh, opposing viewpoints. Uh, but Basically, in this book, she outlines a lot of examples, or she highlights these three scientists, uh, Joseph Needham, Paul Weiss, and um, Robert Harrison, I think, who um, were early 20th century embryologists, or embryologists, uh, who studied developmental biology, um, and were wrestling with this very question about, specifically with regards to the nature of, of embryos and cell tissue, as to why you know, why do they develop the way that they do? Um, is it, is it a mechanic, is it a mechanical nature? Like if you have a seed cell and you put it in uh, the right vat of chemicals, will it just generate into uh, a human being or, or a newt, for example? Um, uh, or is there something more to it than that? Um, and in all of their cases, uh, you know, there is more to it than that. You can't, you, you can't just have an embryo grow uh, uh, in isolation. Kind of the key discovery from each of these scientists is that uh, cell development depends on its environment and not just on its own internal code, right? Mm -hmm. And so let's pause right there and kind of let me ask you this question about like how uh, how universal do you think that that might be? Um, do do you, Glenn Oslin, where does your identity come from? Where does my identity come from? Yeah. Mm, that's a really good question. Um, so I, I, I think I, identity is the way that I see myself, right? Is that mm -hmm. what you think? And so it comes from my mind. It, it comes from the experiences that I've had in life that are recorded somewhere up in here and exists somehow up in here 
in the form of like memory, both conscious and unconscious. Um, yeah, that's a, like, like I think about um, Jake, bro- brother Jake, hmm. uh, having gone through what he went through with his cardiac arrest and he was basically dead for a while and then came back and he's had an amazing recovery, but he's not back a hundred percent like where he was before his personality is pretty much the same that it was before, but you can still tell there's like, it's not quite the same and it's not like it's worse or anything like that. It's just, there's a difference there as a result of what he went through with, with all of the brain, like he had a lot of brain damage as a result of not getting oxygen um, for a while. So yeah, it makes me think that like his sense of identity, like there's, things that he remembers and things that he doesn't. So just kind of like using him as, as an example, I, I think that that identity exists within the mind, but in what form that takes, like, I have no idea. Do you think, do you think that there is, uh, and then this is a little bit kind of like what we talked about last time, but like, do you think that there is an, uh, like a pure you inside of you that's like different from uh uh, all of the material parts of your body (laughs) that's a that's a no i don't i mean i i don't really know how to answer that question because uh i i think that identity starts with dna like there's some like genetic ways that the 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 body then forms as a result of what the blueprint is telling it to do and i might have some genetic inclinations towards like depression or you know like anything's like that that could impact my personality and then that could influence the way that i interpret what's going on around me as i'm growing up but as i'm growing up and i'm a, a kid especially i'm so impressionable that um you know like my mom might say, that's not you. You're not like that, you know, or, yeah, or something. Yeah. And, and whether exactly. I believe it or not is another thing, but I, I have all of these, these influences, some coming from within me, within my own biology and others coming from the environment around me from other people. And all of those things form, um, I guess the way that I think of it is kind of like this database that's constantly being added to by every experience that we ever have and that like my limited awareness of what that is because i i i think that there's the i've, I've heard estimates from like three to three percent to five percent of our brain activity that we're actually aware of and conscious of and the rest is just subconscious stuff that's running in the background and it's definitely influencing uh the way that we are and, and that includes the identity, how we see ourselves. Um, but do I think that there is a, I, I think of all of those things, kind of the way that you were describing the way that an embryo diversifies all of its cells. Like there, there are trillions of cells inside of my body that are all doing different things. And the, the result of what they're doing is my, the, the way that I'm, consciously observing and thinking and feeling about myself. So I I don't think that there's like a separate entity that's different from that. Cause I feel like it's, it's all that it's all of those things, but it's, 
but then I start, and I've listened to a lot of Alan Watts. So I start going into the interconnectedness of all things and, you know, where, where would I draw the line on what's me and what's not me if I'm being influenced by things that are outside of me as well. And I consider that to be me. So I, I don't know if I'm taking the question where you wanted me to or no, not. No, it's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so in the in this book I'm reading, right? So I I started reading this like last fall, and uh, when we when I first told you about it, and um, she keeps referencing this influence that's on all three of these scientists, and it's this guy by the name of Alfred Whitehead. Have you ever heard of this guy? Was he uh was he into the occult? No, no. <laughs> that's too bad. That'd be way more. That fun. would be cool. Yeah, that'd be a lot more. Fun. Alfred Whitehead. No, yeah. I mean. Have you heard of a guy by the name of Bertrand Russell? Yeah. Yeah. So Alfred, he, was a, he was a futurist, right? Bertrand, Bertrand uh, Russell. He was a, 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 a really famous logician. Logic, okay. like, so him and Alfred Whitehead, uh, they wrote a book uh, called uh, Principia Mathematica, which um, is a completely insane name to give your mathematics book. Hmm. Uh, you're basically, you know, being Babe Ruth and pointing to the, you know, to the stands when you <laughs> name your book that, um, and, uh, but it's a really famous text, uh, that like basically laid out the foundational logic for like modern computers. Right. Hmm. Um, uh, but it's a, it's a mathematics book and, famously it takes like the first 70 pages to set up this proof that like one plus one equals two. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But uh, uh, it's, they're quite ambitious. It's a three volume series uh, that tried to like break mathematics down to its most like basic axioms and then uh, uh, use those axioms to, to, prove that mathematics was like a, a completely logically sound like system that uh, sounds weird but that's what they wanted to do mm. um and so that it, it, it it's it's quite ambitious in that but the a guy by the name of uh goidel or what's his name not goidel uh, <laughs> but if you've heard like the incompleteness theorem what's no. this I think it. Now let me check. Oh, was that from Goidel? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but basically, he proved them wrong that you can't do what they were trying to do. Yeah, it is Goidel. Goidel's incompleteness theorem, yeah. um, where he. Uh, uh, I knew it was Goidel. <laughs> I should have listened to you. Yeah. Um, yeah, he uh, he set out a proof basically that that says you cannot build any kind of mathematical logic um, that proves itself, right? Um, there's always going to be, uh, no matter what like axioms you start from, you're going to have to start at some assumption that is improvable. Um, and so uh, that was, uh, that while it stinks that their whole like project was kind of, you know, canceled, or not canceled, but disproven. Yeah. The nevertheless, like the work that they put into such an ambitious thing, really did like you know pave modern math mathematics, um, and uh, you know people reference it a lot. Anyways, Alfred Whitehead, 
uh, he uh, is a, he, he was kind of one of those out there mathematicians and physicists who kind of started dabbling in, in metaphysics and, and philosophy and tried to come up with their own. So he was an occultist. He yeah. was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I read somewhere even that uh, Alan Watts, uh, speaking of, uh, uh, drew a lot of inspiration from him. I, I think I, I, I definitely heard Alan Watts talk about Bertrand Russell. I may have heard him talk about Whitehead too. And yeah. Like he, he probably just references Whitehead says this or this or that. And in like some of his lectures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he he put for, he tried to come up with this philosophy called uh, process philosophy, um, which is this kind of very idea that you were describing uh, that you know your identity or or the reality even that we exist in isn't kind of this set thing. It's it's a process that's constantly you know, being born and dying, yeah. um, based on, uh, uh, you know, the, the past and the future. Um, and, uh, uh, he came up with this idea called concrescence. Have you ever heard of this concrescence? You'd love it. I think if you looked into it, it's kind of, it's pretty cool, but, um, he, he came up with this notion that, um, you, to really like study it, you, you've, takes a while because he basically invents his own like language for just talking about philosophy. Um, and, uh, it's, it's kind of hard because he's such a like logician and he wants to get to like, okay, let's start here and define our terms in this very specific way. And then I'm going to make up this new term that I'm going to have my own definition for, (laughs) but yeah, yeah, so he, he talks about concrescence, uh, this thing called prehension, um, things called actual entities i think i've heard of prehension before yeah i bet yeah so so prehensions is kind of the everything you were talking about uh previously that kind of make up you that you don't you know really have control over right like your environment your dna um your past events your past experiences these are all these You've are all got pre- some control over your environment yeah you got some control over your environment but <laughs> <laughs> you know there's there's a whole load of stuff that you that kind of is these prehensions to your conscious experience mm-hmm. and um uh, uh all of these prehensions get colored by your subjective biases yeah and um, which most of them are unconscious mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and concrescence is the act of taking all of those prehensions and and becoming the person or the thing or the actual entity of that moment so it's not that you know you pre-exist and kind of interpret all of these things that have happened um it's that you all of these things influence this moment of creativity and this moment of creation that creates like the now moment um uh that immediately dies right and so you you're i I, I like to think of it more as a as a continuously running now moment yeah yeah (laughs) but it's never the same as the previous now moment no right 
Right. So this and, and and how do you even measure like when a moment starts and when a moment ends? Right. Yeah. 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 You use so, plank plank measurements of time, which are so minuscule and indistinguishable that, like, what is it even? How does it even <laughs> like a moment? Right. Right. Well. So yeah. So that's that's this process philosophy that mm-hmm. that you know things the universe itself is is. And it's not just people, right? It's not just your conscious experience, but it's all, it's all actual entities. And Whitehead's definition of what an actual entity is, is, is everything, right? It's, yeah. it's, it is the universe, you know, from the, from the smallest puff of existence to God. Like there is this, the, the, these are all actual entities and they all intermingle and, and relate to each other like, uh, you know, like electrons in a field. And, or, or, uh, like, or like the microbiome in your gut. Or like the microbiome regulate, you know, has an influence yeah. on your immune system and yeah, yeah. yeah. And so and so it, it, it's so that life is the process of all of these things coming together. Um and, and then you know, concrescence is, is the many becoming one and then adding one, mm. um, is what he says. Many becoming one and then adding one. Yeah. Can you give me an example of that? Um, so the example a lot of people like to use is that of like a, a, a daffodil, um, where, uh, you know, you have the, the roots and the, the, in the ground, uh, of this plant and all of these things are coming into the roots to, to grow this plant and they all come together, right? Everything that existed before the plant, you know, kind of came together uh, in order to uh, to grow this tulip, um, and then, you know, out of everything, all of that coming together, they grow this thing that wasn't there before, which is this pretty flower. Oh, so the and, tulip is the and one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which then goes on to you know influence uh, the world around it, right? Mm. um and uh uh yeah so so, so that, but but that process is constantly happening everywhere at every level yes yeah so I'll, almost to the point like when i think about it, it it almost makes it irrelevant because every single one of those things that is making the influence on the tulip was at one point the one that was being created by all of the other things that created it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it does at first blush kind of seem like, okay, well, this is kind of meaningless drivel because you're just... Oh, I don't think like, it's meaningless well, drivel. Oh, oh yeah. well, sorry. Sorry to put... Yeah. Yeah. It, but yeah, like the... Uh, it's it's it, it sounds cool, but maybe like, you know, the, uh, uh, finding the application is tough, but this... If, uh, if I understand it right, Ren, what I like, what I really like about it, it goes back to the interconnectedness of all things. Like, we, we might think that, um, you know, like I, I, who, who my, my sense of identity is I'm inside of this bag of skin and that's it. But what you're talking about is that this bag of skin, this body of mine is the result of so many things that came before me, some on this planet, some outside because the atoms that are inside were forged in the stars and like all of these things coming together at this point in this time, then my 
father's sperm, a mother's egg, boom, then all the stuff like that, everything mm -hmm. that comes together that I am actually all of that. I don't think of myself like that question about identity. I don't think of mm -hmm. myself as being those things, but why mm -hmm. not? Like I might as well, because right. I, I, I rely on them or have relied on them just as much as I would rely on uh, eating <laughs> things that I would do to maintain, to stay alive or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's, that's where I kind of go with it. So I don't think that it's meaningless drivel. I, mm. I, I, I like the way that it kind of uh, makes me feel connected to things that I normally wouldn't think about. Yeah. And so in this book, uh, the crystals fabrics fields book, <clears throat> she makes the point that all of these guys were influenced by this idea, this process philosophy mm. <clears throat> and organ or organicism that, that, um, essentially means right that the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts right mm. and and so as these biologists were approaching this problem of, of em embryos and embryo embryology uh, you know it, she's claiming that uh, they were inspired by this philosophy in order to reach this insight that embryos uh, you know, depend on their environment and they're not just like coded to be a certain way. And she describes a whole bunch of experiments that they, uh, they go over to, to kind of come to that conclusion. Um, and so, you know, that's something that's always fascinated me a lot about um, stuff that I've studied is, is the influence that the environment has <clears throat> on life Yeah, and how, you know, it's not just this mechanical nature of the universe that causes life to happen, but that it's this process, this interaction between environment and the organism. And that uh, uh, you become what the environment, what you're able to become in that environment, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then it's like a, a feedback, right? Because then the environment becomes something else, right? In order to uh, 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 propagate this process and continue this dynamic uh, play between um, actual entities and the environment. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, you can really ask the question, like, why is the sky blue? And you, there are a lot of correct answers to the question, why is the sky blue? One of the question, one of the correct answers to why the sky is blue is because of the Rayleigh scattering of, you know, the light waves on the atmosphere, um, which is a, a, you know, that's a correct answer. Another correct answer. So like, why is the sky blue? Um, the sky is blue so that you can contemplate why the sky is blue, right? Mm, I don't like that answer as much. Why not? Because it suggests to me that there was an intent behind creating it that way so that humans could experience it in a certain way. That, that That's kind of like an implication. Mm -hmm. what, what, what about the the numbers of rods and cones that are in the human eye 
as that's an yeah that's a that's a correct answer as well right that like is is the sky blue for like uh butterflies or shrimp they have different rods and cones i i listened to a radio lab episode many many Mm -hmm. years ago that talked about Mm -hmm. like the rods and cones and eyes that just blew my mind Mm -hmm. Um, you know is the sky well i mean of course it depends on what your definition of well blue because, is, because then right? there's the question like why are we making the assumption that the sky is blue like the sky being blue is conditional upon being looked at through a human eye yeah <laughs> um so the sky's not really blue it's only blue when a human is looking at it um uh, in other cases it will be something completely which is the answer to why maybe. it is blue is because a human is looking at it, right? Oh, okay, but not so that. The, like, like the the sky is blue, so that a human can contemplate it. There, or the sky is blue because it's being filtered through uh, the the human evolved nervous system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's what you meant by that second thing, so that people could. Uh, I don't. Could, I don't. That. that I'm saying that that's a correct answer. Okay. This guy is blue. Yay. Do I get points? <laughs> so, this is a, we talk, been talking a lot, a lot of stuff. Now, <laughs> let's pivot. All right. To some things. I, I need to insert my friends, Ross. Pivot. Pivot. <laughs> pivot. <laughs> um, so... Human identities, um, are you with me that they're not formed inertly, that they depend on their environment? Absolutely. And, and I would say in, environment, I, I think when, when you say the word environment, people typically think outer environment but and ignore inner environment. And so I want to include the inner as well as the outer environment because uh, I think there's as much empty space inside of our bodies as there is outside of our bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in your opinion, Glenn, what are the environmental conditions that create fascism? Mm, boy. Help me understand fascism. Fa- fascism is a condition. Fa- fascism is a, a human being who thinks in what way? Like what, what is the fascist? Uh, ultra nationalist that, um, you know, our tribe is the number one tribe. Okay. So we're that, the mightiest. And though, therefore, since we're the mightiest, we get to make the laws. So that sounds like pride. Mm-hmm. Keep to keep going. What 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 else with fascism? Um, you know the uh, our uh, uh, we need a powerful you know leader in order to uh, enforce all of our laws, and we're going to have a strong um, enforcement of our way over anybody else's way. Um, uh, uh, yeah. That that. It, it it sounds like there's it sounds like there's some fear in there uh like like the, the fear of pollution uh like our, our way is the right way and so we've got to get rid of anything that isn't the right way isn't our way because it can pollute okay. us and there's something there 
Yeah. So you so you say pride and fear are those environmental conditions though? No, 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 no. I'm just trying to I'm trying to oh, isolate. I see, I see. I, I, like what characterizes fascism? Yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, and I think that's the question I want to drive at too. Like, what drives a person to fascist beliefs? To 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 thinking that uh, you know uh, are, are and and you're looking uh, you know you're the first stuff that comes immediately to you is is like these internal like feelings like well the, the the first thing the first thing that comes to me when you ask that question is i i would need to hear from some fascists uh, <laughs> honestly like i i would need to, to to listen to some fascists and kind of get to know them before i could even attempt to try to understand what shaped them because because like right now it's from a place of ignorance i don't really know what fascism is i don't know if i know any fascists I, like I, I i i'm just not familiar enough to really be able to speculate then on what formed it but um i i think i i think it comes down to the nature versus nurture kinds of questions that i've heard about and read about in other places and, and you're kind of asking how, how does how does a person's personality arise in the first place you know, and I've been interested in the Enneagram and Myers-Briggs and, you know, these personality mm -hmm. typing systems that, you know, there's benefits to them. There's things about them that are just like silly. And, uh, but it, it's recognizing patterns, uh, uh, patterns of thought and patterns of belief across people. So you're wondering like, what would, what would cause someone to become a fascist do you remember the the movie uh, Swing Kids? No. Did you ever see that? Never saw it. Christian Bale, um, the guy from Dead Poet Society who committed suicide that was also in House. Whenever that. Yeah, yeah. Was. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's it's set in Nazi Germany or or the rise of of Nazi Germany, and there are these kids that really love swing music, and they get caught by the Nazi youth, and they get sent or they get caught by the Nazis and sent to like a Nazi youth center. And one of them, Christian Bale, totally gets indoctrinated, totally becomes a fascist, and then his friend, this other guy, doesn't, and then they end up, you know, it's it's this really sad, tragic story, and it's it's funny because when I saw that movie. I think I, I think I watched it after my mission and there's a scene when they're in the Nazi youth camp and they're being indoctrinated against Jews and how they're the vermin of the earth. And you are the light that's supposed to, to rid the world of all of the issues. It reminded me of being in the MTC. Like I was almost expecting them to start singing uh, call to serve <laughs> you know? because it's like this galvanizing message of you've got the truth and everybody else is this sinful fallen place. It, it was eerily similar. And so there again, I think you've got uh, elements of fear. I think you've got elements of pride. Um, I think there's a whole shit ton of ignorance in there because it's just an, an inability or an unwillingness to look at things from another perspective and accept things from another perspective. So there's a rigidity to it. Um, but, you know, like to, to, to do like a blanket statement of like why somebody would become a, a fascist, I, I think that those elements would have to be involved in it somehow. But that doesn't mean that everybody who has 
fears and pride is going to move towards fascism. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting that you you went to the this example of being in the MTC because this is really what like scares me mm. is like I'm really worried that like that Mormonism, you know, the ways the patterns of thought that you develop in Mormonism uh, can lead to fascism, you know, and that sure. like really worries me. I, I do really think that this is kind of like a big question of our time is to like what causes, you know, fascism. And, and it's something that I think is definitely like on the rise, right? Nationalism and, and, uh, uh, these, you know, as we face disasters, where do we turn in our thinking and, um uh you know it's something that's kind of on my mind a lot and and um anyways i was just i don't have any answers to any of these questions right yeah. i just wanted to kind of like pick your yeah. brain about it a little bit and and uh you know see i don't know maybe how you felt about it i don't know maybe i'm overreacting to stuff i don't know i well i i wouldn't I wouldn't rush to say, I, I, no, I wouldn't think that you're overreacting to anything. I think your reaction is perfect. I mean, your reaction is what it is. It couldn't be anything else. Right. Mm, yeah. So, um, so, so you, you have this fear and concern because you see like, what was the group that you talked about before the Des, Deseret, Des Nats. Des yeah, Nats. nationalists. Um, t- tell me about your fear of fascism. Like where, how, how did, when did you start feeling that and what what brought it into your awareness well yeah the 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 kind of world we grow up in you know where you have this these history lessons about how the nazis were bad and the nazis did all these horrible things and you know growing up in the church i feel like i got this messaging from the church that mormons uh uh, at some point during the end times would be basically treated like the Jewish people during world war two persecuted, persecuted yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and maybe even like murdered and round up. And like, you know, that, that story of like the Northern army coming in to fight the, the people in Jerusalem and, and wipe them out. Right. Genocide. I remember uh, the two prophets very well. <laughs> yeah. The, the right. two prophets in Armageddon that are killed and they lay dead in mm-hmm. the street for like two and a half days. And then they, mm-hmm. they resurrect. Yeah. And, and coming to terms with, you know, being transgender, like being a part of a class of people who are, you know, in the news, in the headlines as, you know, um, people who, you know, there are voices out there that want to, you know, uh, abolish people like me. And, and um, you're not talking to one of them. Right. I know that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it's scary, you know, it, it's it. And this idea that, you know, uh, there's one true way and there's one right way and there's one God chosen people who are going to, you know, take over the earth or it is their right to inherit the earth. And it is this earth belongs to them because God gave it to them. You know, that's kind of 
I don't know, spooky. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you, you distanced yourself from that though, right? Like you don't, do you feel any of those kind of fascist tendencies in yourself? No. Any times where like you're intolerant or uh, kind of like an us versus them mentality. Uh, I mean, I guess towards fascists, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And there's a lot of, there's actually a lot of like, you know, writing on, you know, the, the tolerance of intolerance and whether or not that should be, you know, it's a whole nother like a, uh, discussion but but isn't isn't that connected then to fascism like because because one of the characteristics we didn't we didn't call it out but you mentioned it is this intolerance of difference yeah intolerance of um oh what's the word yeah i'll just stick with difference variety um I'm kicking myself that I don't know that it's the word that everybody talks about diversity. Yeah. Yeah. And intolerance towards diversity, but I like the way that I look at the direction that the world is going, like you said that you felt that fascism is on the rise. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's on the decline and maybe, maybe there's like in the media, we're hearing more and more about it because people are becoming less and less tolerant of it and saying, no, we're not going to, we're not going to put up with this. I, I don't, I don't see it continuing in the future, but I mean, you heard what I said on that thing. This morning. I don't know. I, I think yeah. we've got about 60 years left on this planet and things are going to start getting way worse. And, well, that's, yeah. and, and at, at some point, uh, I think just as a survival, people are going to have to drop intolerance and be more accepting of each other. And like, if there's fascist uh, groups out there, I, I think, I don't know. I, I think they'll isolate themselves out of existence. Maybe I just kind of like how I, I do think that the Mormon church in time given enough time would become more accepting i think i think the general members of the church have become more accepting of lgbtq issues and and diversity in general and and kind of embarrassed Mm. um i i think that's on the rise i think that's why so many people have been leaving i think that's on the rise as well but there's people that are staying in and want to see the mormon church change i i just i think that there's younger generations of people that are going to see the very practical need to to be accepting, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and I think we're going through uh, this this period right now where our our awareness of people's suffering in the world is greater than it has ever been before, and we're going through growing pains as a species as as a result of that. But I th- I think we're going to get our 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 grounding. Um, I think we're going to find our balance and build something beautiful, Ren. Well, that's very hopeful and, and beautiful. It's what nature does. Is it? It's what, it's what, it's what nature does. Yeah. It's what the embryos do, right? Yes. Um, but there are, there are pretty, um, you know, nature doesn't always 
it's not perfect, right? Well, it's it's the because the environment is constantly in flux, and there are some things that are hostile to other things, and that erase and destroy those things. But then they come back, you know, like like it's the the matter is disintegrated. And it is repurposed into other things, right? <laughs> like if, if you look at existence from the perspective of atoms, it, it just changes form, mm. right? Mm. But of course, we're not atoms, we're humans. So why do we care about atoms? We only care about humans. But if you zoom out to look at all this interconnected stuff, like what are we? What, what mm. are we? It's not just this material stuff. Yeah. Well, let me let me tie this all back together all back right. to to Attack on Titan, which I mentioned. All right. So, at Attack on Titan, right? The the reason um, I brought it up is because it is about fascism, right? The the quest for this coordinate um, is a quest that's out of desperation, and the main character who who gets the coordinate, um, you know, at that moment, he then has the power to decide what they're going to do are they going to continue uh as a fascist nation uh or are they or is he going to allow his because he sees that the only path forward is a path of fascism that he that the only way that his people are going to survive is if they basically genocide the rest of the world right and so he has to make like the decision. Lamanites. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he decides that's what he's going to do. Um, uh, and, and that's the, that's the, there's, there's a lot of the anime fan base is up in, up in uh, controversy over, over whether or not this was a moral good show because of the decision he makes, um, whether or not like, the, it was actually like an anti-fascist story all along because it shows how like bad of a decision that was, um, that kind of thing. You know, it's a lot, a lot of, you know, it's a very, it's a very hip commentary on a very yeah. fun pop culture thing, trying to attract some young, some young people to your show. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. About, I don't know. No. Um, you, you know, it's funny because when you mentioned, uh, was it attack on Titan, whatever, mm -hmm. like, of course I, because I'm a Marvel fan, I think about like uh, Avengers Endgame or Infinity War or something. I think about Thanos being from Titan. And that, that was like Thanos's whole villain thing. I'm going to snap my fingers and do genocide for 50% of the universe. So that's, that's what happens when this guy in. Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. So he becomes Thanos. Yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. yeah. Funny. Yeah. 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 And I think it's like I mentioned also that it's kind of becoming more popular than uh, this other anime, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever watched that, but that's, that's also the one that my daughter likes. Good. That's a, yeah. that's a that's my favorite as well. Yeah. I think I think the politics in that one is much better than Attack on Titan because yeah. it's also about fascism, but kind of how to resist fascism, which I really how, like. How do you let's end on that, Ren. How do you resist fascism? You resist fascism. OK, so. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is ultimate resistance to fascism is the surrender of power, right? Like the 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 Full Metal Alchemist in the end decides to give up his alchemy. Mm -hmm. 
and give up his power in order to save his brother. And that is the true uh, uh, resistance to fascism is to give up power and give it to the people around you, right? So it's the anti-Nephi-Lehi solution where they just take a knee instead of taking up their arms and they allow themselves to be slaughtered. (laughs) Yeah. You can bring it all back to the book. (laughs) You can. Got universal truths. Yeah. Yeah. No. um, uh, Yeah, the, 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 the resistance of fascism means being like vigilant uh, about fascism and, and, and being aware um, uh, in, your, in your day-to-day life, recognizing when, when people are mistreating others just simply because of like, you know, uh, that they're different or that they're um, uh, you know, not part of the same tribe kind of thing. And, and first recognizing that in ourselves, like, am I mm. being mm. intolerant? Am I being fascist in any way? Yeah. yeah. Well, this was a lot of fun, Glenn. <laughs> I don't know I if was, you thought this is where it was going to go, but. I had no idea. I, mean, I was <laughs> looking forward to it. No, I love it. Any time, right? Cool. Cool. Maybe I'll uh, throw together my own little submission to a listener like essay it. thing. I like it. Cool. All right. All right. Talk to you later. Yeah. Talk to you later. Bye. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. We don't need another war. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Dashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes. And take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic. So